0: Hey everyone, welcome to Home Alone and Comfortable as Heck, the podcast that takes a deep dive into canine behavior, building up alone time comfort, and helping improve the welfare of our beloved canine companions. In this podcast, we will discuss real life tactics for modifying behavior, real alone time case studies, and help guide you through the emotional process of behavior change. So sit back, relax, and get ready to take the next step in your alone time training. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Home Alone and Comfortable as Heck, the podcast. We have a very interesting topic today, dun-dun-dun, patterns. So on today's episode, I will explain what I even mean by a pattern when it comes to alone time, the downsides to patterns in an alone time protocol, when they can actually be beneficial for us, and how we can work to avoid some of the negative impacts that patterns might have while we're working through an alone time protocol. But before we do, I wanted to take a quick second to thank each and every one of you amazing listeners. You guys are the reason why I'm here, why I'm creating all this free education, and I love that all of you are finding this beneficial and constantly reaching out with questions, etc. If you have been enjoying home alone and comfortable as heck, I do have a favor to ask if you wouldn't mind taking just a second to head over to whatever platform you're listening to this podcast on and go ahead and give us a rating or a review. My goal is to help as many pups as I possibly can through my free education. And honestly, the more listeners that rate or review, the larger the the audience I will have and then therefore the larger amount of people that I can help. So thank you in advance. I really appreciate every single one of you. And you know the drill. We are going to go over some listener questions next. So our first question today comes from Ann G. So Ann G says, my dog paws at the baby gate sometimes during training. Is this bad over threshold or something that I should be concerned about? And that is such a great question and you know the answer I'm probably going to give uh, at this point in time, but. It depends. It really does depend. I have had cases in which um, a single paw at the gates doesn't necessarily lead to an increase or escalation in fear, anxiety or stress. Therefore, with some of those cases, we might be able to continue through and allow um, a paw at the gates or a couple paws at the gate if the pup is able to, you know, resettle um, after that takes place. However, I have also had many cases where going to the gates and pawing at the gate is that first sign that they're going to have an increase in fear, anxiety or stress. Therefore, we might work below that point in time so that we're able to maximize comfort and work towards a comfortable or neutral response when left alone. Um, So again, long story short, it does really depend. I would say look at the bigger picture, look at your dog's body language, and start to note what happens after the paw. After the paw, is there another paw? Is there um, a tiny vocalization that then goes to a moderate vocalization that then turns to full-on barking, etc.? Or is it just a paw and then maybe Maybe your pup just kind of lays down, has an exhale, rests their head, and that's it. So um, long story short, again, it does depend. If you have any questions about this and you want to dive into your pup's case in more detail, do not hesitate to reach out. Send me a DM on Instagram at Home Alone Academy, and I'd be more than happy to get you on the books for a complimentary consultation, okay? All right, folks. And the next question comes from Taylor D. So Taylor says, I'm working on alone time training with my adult dog and they have oh, they have a puppy on the way. Congratulations, Taylor. Um, Taylor wants to know what should they do when the puppy arrives uh, in regards to training? So great, great question, Taylor. So when it comes to um, alone time training, honestly, I take a very similar approach with dogs that have a clinical diagnosis of separation anxiety, dogs that maybe we don't have any learning history or uh, any understanding of what their experiences might have been, for example, like a new rescue or rehome situation. And I also use this protocol with puppies. So there is no downside to going at that individual dog's pace and gradually building up alone time. The good news is, is with, with some puppies or with dogs that don't have an actual underlying level of fear, anxiety, or stress when left alone, they typically will run through the process at a much faster speed, I would say, than than dogs that um, do actually have a prior learning history or a negative emotional response response, et cetera. That having been said, I would actually continue the process, and what you might need to do is lower your criteria to where the puppy is comfortable, um, and that way you can kind of, you know, work towards both of their individual comfort levels at the same time, and yeah, I, I would definitely recommend continuing, and there are a few things that you might want to do in addition to working on your desensitization um, alone time protocol, and that might include for the puppy things like counter conditioning, so things like using mental enrichment and pairing their confinement area if they need to use a confinement for, you know, just puppy shenanigans, defecation issues, et cetera. So, getting them uh, acclimated and comfortable with these environments while also working on pairing a positive association with things that they're not really fully understanding or comfortable with um, is something that I would definitely recommend. So, in alone time situations, we oftentimes will avoid using food when we're working on like changing an underlying emotional response with a dog that does struggle with fear, anxiety, or stress when left alone. However, if it's a pup that we're just trying to build up, and gradually expose them um like a puppy for example we might go ahead and use food in addition to working on systematic desensitization gradual exposure um hopefully that helps let me know if you have any questions do not hesitate to reach out i'm happy to help uh, help you guys out all right. And last and final question for today, because we have a big, juicy episode ahead of us. Um, this question comes from Aaron. So Aaron says, doo, 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 where are we? Okay. Aaron says, I was sadly misguided a few months ago and got another dog for my dog that has separation anxiety. They both have SA now. Oh, no. Um, and she's asking, what can she do? Uh, Aaron, first and foremost, I am so sorry. I will say it is a very, 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 very common misconception that dogs that struggle when left alone are just quote unquote bored or they need a companion etc and i will say for a dog that doesn't struggle with alone time or have a diagnosis of separation anxiety sure having another dog around might be great enrichment for them and they might that might be a totally awesome addition to, to the situation however a dog that does struggle when left alone in regards to separation anxiety or isolation distress adding a new dog as you sadly have already experienced, Um, adding another dog to the home is not necessarily going to do anything for that first dog's underlying emotional response or anxiety levels. Um, You already know that. That's why we're here. So what I would say is actually similar to what I said uh, to Taylor just a moment ago. We are going to still work on alone time with you since you know that both dogs struggle when left alone. You are going to focus all of your criteria on the dog whose threshold level is the lowest. So, for example, if you do your threshold assessment or initial threshold assessment, um, if you don't know what that means, go back to earlier episodes, I kind of dive deep into all of that specific uh, details. But basically, you're going to do an initial threshold assessment, see where the stressor starts uh, with both dogs, really, and whoever has the lower level of comfort is where you're going to focus your criteria and all of your training sessions, etc. That having been said, all animals are individuals and thresholds are forever fluctuating. might start with one dog who, let's say, dog one, their threshold level's lower, maybe the, for, for the first few weeks you're focusing below that dog's comfort level, and then you realize that they trade spaces and the other pup is actually has the lower threshold that following week, etc. That's normal. And that's what I would do to just kind of dictate what the rest of your training week should look like is do a weekly threshold check-in to see where their comfort levels are at and then focus your efforts below whoever's comfort levels are lower. Hopefully that makes sense. And Erin, this can be a tricky process. So if you're not already working with a CSAT, I highly recommend reaching out um, to myself or one of my fellow colleagues because we can absolutely help you get headed in the right direction and start to understand exactly what focusing criteria for that lower threshold would look like for your team, okay? All right, you guys. Well, as always, thank you for the awesome questions. And now on to the topic for today, patterns. All right, you guys. So first and foremost, what is a pattern? So when it comes to alone time training, a pattern is a predictable series of events that may or may not be intentional by us, the the trainers. So we have almost all been here, you guys, you're working through your training week, and it's almost like your dog knows when you're about to take that last final or target duration step, right? And like, you're wondering, are they reading our minds? Are they just too smart for their own good? Or Are they just seeing a pattern in our training that makes things predictable? Well, spoiler alert, predictability has both positives and negatives for alone time training. So we'll dive deeper into why some of these patterns or predictability might be either good or bad. But first, let me give you a couple of um, examples of patterns that I see happen very, very commonly in training, especially when I start working with somebody that's been training on their own prior and maybe their training's just going a little bit stagnant or maybe they're in a plateau or worst case scenario, maybe they're experiencing a a regression. And when I pick apart their sessions, some of the patterns that I'm seeing are things like, And of course, this is not going to be an exhaustive list, just very... Commonly um, recognized patterns that I've seen, um, but things like always turning on the white noise maker, for example, right before they start training. Right, so they're getting ready to start their training. They have their spreadsheet up. They're ready to dive in, and they always do the same thing, where they go and they turn on that white noise maker a few moments before they get ready for the session. Right, or things like even accidentally always doing the same amount of warm up steps. Right, so for those of you already doing a an, an alone time protocol or working with the CSAT, you'll notice what I'm mean when I say like you're always doing four warm-up steps and then the fifth step is always that final or target duration right and you're doing that pattern almost every single day Um, things that we don't even realize that we're doing but going from easy like an easy warm-up to a hard warm-up to an easy warm-up to a hard warm-up that type of pattern to us it might look like we're quote unquote toggling our like warm-up criteria but it's actually really easy for dogs to pick up on something from easy to hard to easy to hard i'll talk about what that might have impact wise on training in just a second too Um, another big one that i see you guys and we don't even realize we're doing this because it's our our work schedule that is creating a situation like this but for example always training on the same day of the week for example most most clients they train about what like four to five days a week or so so always doing monday tuesday wednesday thursday as their training sessions therefore friday is always their threshold check-in or reassessment that type of pattern can definitely create some issues um for example there's even dogs that like will get pick up on the pattern of always you know if a client starts easy at the beginning of the week and always gets progressively harder as they move towards their threshold check-in that is a super easy pattern to pick up on Or even vice versa, starting harder at the beginning of the week and then always getting easier and easier throughout the week. Um, Doing things like trying to break up your patterns and not being aware of going, you know, a hard training session, then an easy training session, and then a hard training session, then an easy training session. Very, very, very easy for our dogs to pick up on. Another one that a lot of clients before they're working with the CSAT um, and they're trying to do training on their own, they might do what I see in regards to pre-departure cues, where they just put all their pre-departure cues on or pick up everything and then they'll go sit down for the same amount of time before starting every session. Um, This is not necessarily a setup that many of you will use if you're working through the protocol with the CSAT, but there are some situations, and I'll dive deeper into this in a second here, but there are some situations in which you might be doing that in advance. um, And this can be a pattern if we make it this super predictable series of events right um another one that i see and i notice this a lot when i'm doing lives with clients where we're trying to pick something apart and we're wondering why does their dog always know when it's the last step and then when i watch them they do something like only grab their cell phone for that final step, right? Because the final step, for those of you that aren't working on a protocol quite yet, final step, generally speaking, is like the harder or longer session. We need to be watching our pups. So a lot of times our client, my clients will have their phone with them so they can watch. But if you're only ever bringing your phone on your last step, the hard step, your dog's gonna pick up on it. You guys, I see this happen all the time. Another very, very, very common setup is putting together the environment for your training session. So things like setting up your laptop or your iPad right before starting your training session or even a baby gate. If you need to block off a certain part of the house before you start your training session, if you're always putting up the baby gate right before starting, this is another super predictable pattern for our dogs um, and very easy for them to pick up on. So now that I've kind of described a little bit more about like some of the examples and some of the very common mistakes that I see happen with patterns even though we're not even doing them intentionally let me talk about each of these patterns and why they might make things harder for you okay so if any of the examples uh above that I just mentioned kind of rang a bell as something that you may or may not be doing um listen up now because I'm going to tell you why this might be making things harder for your pup okay So let's start with the very first one, the Noisemaker. So if you're only ever using the Noisemaker right before training, you might run the risk of turning that into a PDQ or a pre-departure cue. So this is something that predicts that an absence is going to happen. Um, How can you avoid this? You can do things like turn your white Noisemaker on at different intervals before training. For example, I'll coach clients sometimes to do five minutes before starting, other times 30 minutes before starting. Maybe it's been on for an hour before starting. you turn it on right before you start, etc. And in addition to turning it on at random, um, you know, intervals right before training, I also highly recommend that you turn on your white noise maker at random times throughout the day when you aren't going to train, you guys. This is super helpful because it shows our pup that it's not only right before an absence or right before a training session is the white noise maker on the white noise maker kind of um gets turned on at random points throughout the day so it doesn't have a very specific predictability factor of about to start a training session okay and all that can be super super helpful to breaking this up a little bit more for your pup um Second thing, so going to back to doing the same amount of warm up steps, right? So if you're always doing the same amount of warm up steps, your pup is likely going to know exactly how many steps you have before you leave for the quote unquote harder step. Um, We don't want this, you guys, because we don't want our dogs to know when we're going to be doing the harder step, right? And the reason for this is because... If your dog is starting to understand that the harder step is always after four warm-up steps, they might actually start to pick up on this and amp themselves up even more before you even get to that step. So they're starting closer to threshold than they would be if it wasn't as predictable. So to avoid this, be sure that you're toggling the amount of steps that you're doing each session. So um, for those of you that are already doing a training set or already doing a a alone time protocol, you'll understand what I mean, but um, basically you can do, for example, one day you'll do five steps on the session maybe the next day you do nine steps on your session and then you go back down to seven steps on your session etc always toggling this is going to help your pup or help you break apart the pattern so your pup does not accidentally inadvertently start to pick up on right when you're about to leave for the harder step okay um same thing with warm-ups if you're always going for example easy hard easy hard your pup is going to pick up on the fact that if a step was easy then the next one is going to be harder therefore they might actually start amping themselves up for the harder step even before it occurs and this might lead to the higher chance of them not being able to remain calm comfy and settled so to avoid this pretty simple you guys toggle 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 make sure that you are throwing in moderate steps and easy steps and harder steps and another harder step and then an easy step and a moderate step etc make sure that it's not a predictable back and forth between easy and hard otherwise your pup is likely going to pick up on this okay Um, our pups are smart if you always are training Monday Tuesday Wednesday Thursday for example with your threshold check-in on Friday your pup is likely going to be able to pick up on the fact that the fifth session in a row is almost always the quote-unquote hardest one and then they might begin to have an increase in stress or anxiety anticipating that harder session therefore you might be starting off with them even closer to threshold than they would be if they were not picking up on this specific one being the hardest session etc to avoid this I highly encourage everybody train at different times of day take different days off each week by doing this and varying the way that we're running through our protocol we're going to be less likely to accidentally create a pattern around our work schedule of Monday through Friday, et cetera. So um, if your work schedule allows for it just being easiest for you to do a certain set days of the week, et cetera, that's totally fine. You can still do, you know, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, for example, but make sure you're changing that where your threshold check-in is and you're not always doing it on the exact same day at the exact same time after doing X amount of sessions before. I've seen this happen time and time again. Our dogs can be very, very smart with this. So. Starting easy and getting progressively harder throughout the week. If you guys have been following me at all on Instagram or through my podcast, you've heard me talk about this on many, many occasions, so I'm not going to get too deep into detail. But essentially, if you are always making things harder and harder, your dog is going to pick up on it, okay? Oftentimes dogs that find this pattern that... Every single time you do a session, it gets harder and harder. They oftentimes will give up on training and potentially become sensitized, leading to a regression um, that's going to be even harder for you to get out. So for more information on this, check out my podcast on steady percentage increases. I dive much deeper into this. Um, How do you avoid this? easy wins. We are not running a race, you guys. We need to remember our goal is more than just duration on every session, okay? We need to be sure to give easier wins, um, even if your pup is doing well. Even if your pup had an amazing run through, doesn't mean you need to increase the criteria the next day, alrighty? So now let's talk about that circumstance that I mentioned in regards to always putting on your PDQs or picking them up before starting training. So many of you know we need to really desensitize each pre-departure cue before we can expect to make true behavior change. So if you are working on alone time and you have not put in the work to desensitize each individual pre-departure cue and are still using them before a session, you're likely going to be creating a very challenging starting point um, that might lead to an increase in fear, anxiety, or stress after putting on those PDQs that your pup is more uh, more inclined to be on edge before even starting your training session. So how do you avoid this? Well, the... Number one thing that I would recommend is work on each pre-departure queue individually and only add in a new pre-departure queue when the existing PDQ has what I call like a comfortable or neutral response. If you, however, are um, not able to put in the time for each individual pre-departure queue, you can absolutely manage, okay, you guys? I've told all of my uh, Home Alone Academy students and all of my clients that I work more intensively with that that you can absolutely manage some pre-departure queues. You don't have to spend multiple weeks working through one really challenging pre-departure queue if it's something that you can just have on in advance or hide in your pocket, like keys, for example. Um, However... If you are going to go the management route, I highly recommend that you have them on in advance, but have a long decompression period before actually starting a training session. caveat to that, you guys. Every dog is different. Some dogs might need 30 minutes of decompression after putting on or picking up a challenging pre-departure cue. Others might need even more than an hour. So see what works for your dog and go from there, okay? Every dog is going to be very different with this. Um, Going back to what I mentioned that I see often happen um, pretty you know, consistently on my live sessions if there's an issue um, that we're trying to work through is only grabbing your phone for the final step. So that the step that you're observing them on, obviously. So this is one of the easiest ways to tell our pups that the hardest step is coming, okay? Imagine if your dog is super comfy, super comfy, super comfy because you haven't picked up your phone um, for any of the prior steps, but then as soon as you pick up your phone, they know, oh, that's the one that's always longer because that's the step you're watching them on, right? That's going to be easy for them to pick up on. So how do you avoid this? I usually recommend either A, bring your phone with you on every step. I'm talking even from day one where you're doing things like walking halfway to the door and you're not even fully exiting so you don't need to quote unquote observe your dog on camera. I don't care. I would still have you bring your phone on that step or you can do management route and just have your phone in your pocket until you actually get outside. That's another kind of easy way to work around it as well. So um, going back to uh, environmental setup, for example, cameras and baby gates that might cue our dog to know that we're about to start a training session, this is very similar actually to the situation uh, with the white noise maker that I discussed earlier. Uh, We just need to be sure that we're not creating a pattern as this is likely going to become its own PDQ. For example, if you always, um, you know, set up your laptop and your iPad right before you do a training session, or if you're always, you know, grabbing the baby gate and putting the baby gate up right before you do a session it's going to tell your dog you're about to start so how do you not create a pattern with this in my honest opinion I find that it's easiest for families and their pups to have this type of setup be more of a permanent setup Um, for example uh, rather than always setting up an iPad or a laptop by the front door indoor cameras that are permanently like living in a certain location that can be turned on via phone um, is going to be much easier than always having to go in put something by the front door, et cetera. And same thing with baby gates. I actually see the most success with cases that need to use this type of management when they are permanent fixtures as well. This way the pup sees the baby gate on a daily basis and it's not something that they're specifically pairing to a training session or an absence and they can then naturally habituate uh, to having the baby gate up and it's not something very specific that's cueing them that something potentially scary might occur, right? So, when can predictability be beneficial? Well, first off, learning that alone time sessions are reliably never going to be an over threshold experience is a huge plus. And this is something that becomes predictable for our pups. So, when we are working on gradually exposing and using systematic desensitization, we are creating a level of predictability for our dog that lets them know hey, when I do things that look like this, like this weird game, it's never going to be scary for you. So, that level of predictability is amazing and really helpful for us Um, and of course we do our best to never have any of these sessions go become an over threshold experience the best of our human capabilities of course error does happen and that's that's fine if you are working through a protocol and you're putting in all the work to build up these strong nice strong solid foundations that one time that your pup accidentally goes close to or over threshold should not be the end of the world but of course every dog is an individual Um, but I will say patterns are helpful in that Specific situation, that level of predictability, knowing that it's never going to be scary, um, is very helpful for us with alone time. And the other thing is going to be knowing what to expect when you start a session. So, for example, you get up and you go to the door, you do whatever that step is, you come back and you get up and you do the next step and you come back. By the time the second or third step kicks in, your pup's like, oh it's that boring game again okay peace and then they snuggle back up on the couch right that level of predictability is hugely beneficial for us and that works in our favor because we've been so reliably consistent with keeping our pup under threshold that we've essentially desensitized them that they think that what we're doing is boring now and they're no longer as concerned about it another big component of predictability that i always 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 employ when first starting with a new client is the step in between your steps we have what we call breaks in your neutral location and I actually always recommend that clients go back to the same location in between every step. Um, This isn't something that you'll always have to do. You're not always going to have to go, you know, sit on your couch and twiddle your thumbs for 10 minutes before you do a session or in between every step, etc. We will add in movement down the line, but in the beginning when you have a level of predictability where you do whatever your step is and you go back to your neutral, comfy location, that's going to help your pup understand um, that you're playing the game first off, that it's not something that they need to be concerned about. And if you're always going back to the same place, preferably a place that your dog is more apt to become relaxed or settled, for example, like on the living room couch, then you're going to be creating a level of predictability that your dog will start to recognize and therefore be able to remain closer to what we call baseline when they're working through an alone time protocol. So, as you can see, patterns and predictability can both have positive and negative impacts on alone time training. If you're finding yourself stuck and needing some guidance, do not hesitate to reach out. I'm always more than happy to get you on the books for a complimentary consultation, so I will include a link in the show notes for those of you that would like to take advantage of that app, of that opportunity. And last but not least, you guys, the Home Alone Academy is right around the corner. Be sure to add yourself to the waitlist before the end of the month, and that would be May May 2022 to receive more information about the Academy receive first dibs at enrollment and also receive $500 off should you decide to sign up so I'll include the link in the show notes to this as well um, there's no strings attached it's just giving you more information and also giving you some awesome perks should you decide to move forward okay Well, all right, folks, that about wraps it up for today with our topic on patterns. Long story short, they can be your friend or they can be your enemy when it comes to building up comfortable alone time. If you enjoyed today's episode and find yourself with a couple of minutes to spare at the end of the day, I would greatly appreciate if you went over to the platform that you're currently listening to this podcast on and rated or reviewed the podcast. It would be a huge help to allow me to reach a bigger audience and help more families that have dogs that are struggling with separation anxiety so every rating and review is greatly appreciated and thank you so much in advance did today's episode leave you with any lingering questions i would be more than happy to address them on my next podcast please send me any questions or comments pertaining to this episode via instagram at home alone academy and or on twitter at training with Ally. i'm very much looking forward to hearing from you All links and information discussed on this podcast can be found in the show notes below. This podcast is not intended to diagnose or treat any individual case. Please consult your veterinarian before adding to or modifying your pet's current treatment plan.